football. We'll try to get you some information on that before Early we get too. out of here. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Wouldn't you want... I mean, there were 12 NFL scouts up the road today. Noon time. Are you tr- Come on, Are you trying to get people to not show up? Like, is oh, that the active on. ingredient there? Like, is that... In, how is 8 a.m. like going to be the time where people are trained well, up and, and looking their best? Even for the people like, in Bangor. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I don't think I've ever seen a kickoff before 10 o'clock in my life. And like, we're going to have these guys training and running the 40 at 8.30 in five degree weather. Yeah, that, I'm a little concerned and confused, but you know. Was it going to be outside or are they going to have it in the Well, in the I mean, they, they'll have some of it in the bubble, but you know, the bubble collapses every other week because of snow. So you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't really know. Bruins, however, you kind of know what's going to happen. Every time they play now, they're going to win. However, they've got some injuries that uh, are going to be taking a bite out of them here. So we'll see if the depth works out. Justin Peltier is the sports editor of the Boston Herald. He's going to join us to talk about that, maybe even a little local hockey as well. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. Uh, just wanted to, to, to note about this pro day thing. I, I, I think they do it so early so that the scouts can move on to their next pro day or to their next travel arrangement as quickly as possible in the afternoon is my guess. Good point. Well, and, I, that out there. and I'm totally cool with that. Travel for them. Right. And, I, and I'm, you know, typically I'm totally cool with that, except for the fact that I would have had to be up at like six to like get there for it. So, yeah, like. Yeah, but you don't think that these kids, and, and yes, I know that people will laugh at the uh, student athlete uh, or the, you know, but it, it mainly take that pretty seriously. And quite frankly, a lot of these guys are up that early training every day during the season anyway. Uh, because they've got to go to class at 10 o'clock. So okay. I wouldn't be surprised if this is normal for most of those guys anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I, and you may be right. I don't know. I just think of guys that just went out and trained on the West Coast, and now they're coming back here, you know, after being on West Coast time for three months. Now all of a sudden they're going to come back here and, and do their pro day at 8.30 a.m. in the morning. But, you know, whatever. They, they just everybody, everybody, it's a little bit different, you know what I mean, for everyone. I mean, guys from Maine seem to find their way to the pros, so somehow it's working for somebody, you know. That's Absolutely, and that—that's the other thing is, is Maine's got a sneaky good reputation for putting uh, players in the in the uh, NFL. So let's talk a little bit about the Bruins. Uh, DeBrusk was was hanging out with a, a little bit of a problem. Uh, looks like he's got a walking boot going on. So a lot of folks think uh, he's got a broken foot. There's some uh, other injuries going around. You know, nobody knows when Johansson's going to come back. Let's talk a little bit about the Bruins. They're still winning. They're playing well, obviously, and uh, I think a lot of folks they've gotten a lot of folks' attention uh, since the trade deadline and with how well they've played. But uh, is this year going to be able to be any different than last year if they don't stop getting some of these nagging injuries? Well, I think that's the biggest thing is, is how severe are these injuries, right? So um, the, the Bruins have come out and said that the uh, injury to Johansson was, quote, like dodging a bullet, right? Um, he has a, he has a, a bruise uh, on, his, uh, on his lung, which is um, it's not ideal, obviously, but it's certainly better in the hockey lexicon than, say, um, uh, a broken collarbone or a crushed shoulder uh, or a concussion even, uh, quite honestly. Um, so it's, him is going to be probably more pain management than anything else. Um, as for DeBrusque, again, Cassidy seemed to dismiss that, saying that it wasn't serious. Now, whether you believe him or not is a whole other question. Uh, you, the Twitter or uh, social media responses have, have run the gamut on that one. Um, a lot of times those boots are precautionary, and, and it's only really truly uh, defined as a, or it's obviously a break if there's a cast and not a boot. Um, so we don't know what he's doing with there, but obviously he blocked a shot and isn't feeling great. But you know what? They, this whole run almost entirely has been done without David Poster not to begin with, right? And so right now what you're, doing, what you're seeing is now without DeBrusque and without Johansson, you effectively have one line missing, which is 
exactly where the team was in December, right? Was quote unquote missing a line. Um, so we'll see what, what what impact that has on them. But uh, they're playing so well as a unit. That top line uh, hasn't slowed down, even though the secondary scoring has arrived a little bit. Now, of course, DeBrus being out hurts that. Uh, but they managed without him for for the bulk of the uh, well for the night last night. Uh, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, but uh, they're just playing so well together right now. The chemistry is obviously there with this team. And, uh, you know, Tuka Rask has a sub-two GAA since Christmas. So uh, when you have all those things happening, you're going to be winning games, regardless of who's putting on that, uh, that sweater. You know, Justin, if they get everybody back healthy, it, it sure looks like, even though they weren't big splashes, that Johansson and, and Coyle have been exactly the kind of things they needed. Well, that's, that's exactly it. There were the depth moves that they needed, and that's the thing. They weren't necessarily a superstar, and that's why I was always guarded. I never really liked the idea of getting a Panarin or a Stone because it was going to cost you too much on the back end. Uh, but what they did is they lengthened their lineup by adding those guys. Uh, they, they allowed, uh, when, when fully healthy, you anticipate Pasternak, uh will probably pair with maybe, what, Krejci and Johansson, um, leaving Heinen on the top line. And then Coyle uh, with that third line. I mean, that's, that's a good, deep lineup there uh, that allows for some of these injuries to happen. And you can plug and play some of the younger guys that have gotten a little bit more playing time uh, throughout the season. So, uh, you know, in that fourth line, I love that fourth line of theirs uh, with Wagner and Achari. They, they, just, they, they, are, they are spark plugs, that line. And, and it's just fun to watch them go uh, and play. Uh, the night that Johansson went out uh, with his injury, uh, of course, David Backus tried to, is trying to be the fighter, and don't get me going on that. I think that's an awful idea uh, for him to even be yeah. thinking of that, never mind the team allowing him to do it, uh, speaking of an injury waiting to happen. Uh, but uh, the shift after that uh, hit, and before Backus went after uh, the player that hit Johansson, uh, that line came out, and they were just banging everybody. They were just hitting everything that moved and everything that was in sight. That's the kind of response you need, not Backus going after the guy for a clean hit. That's right. Those guys, those fourth-line energy guys coming out and just banging the crap out of that other team, and that's what happened, and that line is, is part of the reason why this team is, is where it is. Well, I think he tries to honor them by starting them every game. He starts them every oh, yeah. game against I mean, the other team's energy, number ones. Energy right off the top, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep, put them right out. Honor them, put them up against the top line, and show them, hey, you're gonna have a long night, boys. This 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 team, the way they built this team, reminds me of how they built the team in uh, in 2011 before the run, and even before 2013 when they lost to the Blackhawks. Like getting those uh, sort of end guys to to create some yep. depth on there and uh, make it so that you could, you know, the old Claude Julien line, you could roll four lines. You know what I mean? You really could, line. but you could. You know what I mean? And, and and you wouldn't, you could actually mix and match guys based on, on defensive matchups, which I think is so much more effective, especially when you get into playoff hockey and, and, and the way oh, hockey's absolutely. done nowadays. I mean, being able to put uh, Patrice Bergeron out there, and, and Bergeron is, is, is that most versatile guy in your, in your game, right? He's obviously a scorer. This year, he's uh, having one of his best offensive seasons ever. But he still, let's not forget, the best defensive center in the game. And so when you have his, his ability to then go out there with uh, other guys like a Wagner or a Chari um, on, on a penalty kill uh, and a Bacchus, is, and, and to be able to do, you know, add things that way and be able to mix and match. And I think there's a method to his madness. Is that, you know, people keep saying, oh, my gosh, he keeps changing lines around all the time. Well, most teams would envy being able to plug and play guys in any situation in a lineup like that 
And I think part of the reason he's been doing it all year is because he knows he's going to need to uh, in certain situations down the stretch. Talk about the, Justin Pelletier. He's the sports editor down at the Boston Herald. Justin, if they coined a phrase, you know, it used to be the Mer- the fourth line was the Merlot line because of their practice jerseys. What are they calling this year's fourth line? Do you know? <laughs> I don't know if they've actually got a nickname for it. I'm sure someone uh, down here uh, in, in the uh, press corps will at some point uh, anoint them something. Um, you know, we can't we can't call them the. Uh, we, we, let's call him the Walpole line in, uh, in, in honor of yeah. Ronald Wagner. How's that? That's right, yeah. I was going to say the Achari attackers or something. I don't know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you could theoretically see all New England kids on that line, right, with, with Wagner, Achari, and maybe Coyle. If yeah, you, there you go. If you drop Coyle into that line, you get, it's, all, it's all messages to the Rhode Island kids that yeah. way. So, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's cool that they've got all that local flavor, too. I think that adds some of the excitement for some people not everybody you know most people are going to like the Bruins because they like the Bruins and don't care if you know Wagner's from Walpole or, or Wichita but um, at, at the same time um, there are some people that loved seeing that local flavor on a team and, and cheered when Charlie Coyle was, was one of those guys they went out and got because of that, that fact call them the Harbor Boys or something Abba yeah there you go the Harbor Abba. Boys yeah. Oh boy, that's great. That's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> Speaking of the Haba boys, they're out at the West Coast Harbor right now, the West Coast Harbor of LA, the Boston Celtics. Are we going to be looking back on this season as the trip to San Francisco that saved the season for the Celtics? Because so far they're two for two on this trip, and everybody looks like they're quote unquote to steal it from Lane Johnson having fun, end quote, right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, this, this team has been so, you know, but then again, they could go out and lose to the Lakers by, by 20. Uh, which would be then punctuated by a hug fest between Kyrie Irving and LeBron James and trading jerseys and all that good stuff. So you never know with this team. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And I don't know if you had a chance to read Steve Volpet's column from uh, the day after they won in, in, uh, in uh, Oakland after they uh, defeated uh, Golden State. Um, that win could have been an absolute blessing or it could have been, it could have been uh, just more of the same. And you really, it's only time is going to tell with that. If this team is so hot and cold, Back and forth, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving goes from being toxic to being a savior uh, within the change of shows here on talk radio uh, in, in Boston. So it, it depends on who you talk to, but I, you know, we, we want to reserve judgment. They have the feel of the of a team, and I, I'm the comparison I draw, and not for the same reasons, but I'm drawing this to the Patriots, right? Because the Patriots, I think, not necessarily entirely deliberately, but in part deliberately played. A little bit of rope dope last season. They were working on specific things at specific times in specific games to prepare for a playoff run. The Celtics aren't doing that, but at the same time, it would not surprise me after having a relatively up and down, very uh, season with people being very critical of them. The Red Sox were actually kind of this way too, right? How many people were railing on the bullpen right through September, right? Nobody wanted to believe that their bullpen was was worth anything. Oh, they can do all this in the regular season, but they can't win in the playoffs. So this bullpen, haha, we'll show them. It almost has that feeling that the Celtics could go on that same kind of run and say, "Ha, you doubted us all year, but ha, we told you, we showed you." And it just feels like that—that's a possibility with this group because they're just so talented. And I think that's the, the thing is, is they're so talented that who knows what they can come up with and pull out in the playoffs, regardless if they're the five seed, four seed, or three seed at this point. 
I think personally, I think for them to do it, I think what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to get up to that four seed. Because I think at this point, you pretty much have to be resigned to the fact that you're probably going to be taking on Toronto or Milwaukee in that next round. So basically what should have been, you know, your your Eastern Conference final is going to be your Eastern Conference semifinal. And then that's going to make the road a little tougher to hoe. However, this year, the difference between this year's Celtics team in the playoffs, and this is the one thing that people don't understand. And, you know, Kyrie has pissed me off, too, like with some of the things that he does. Like he he drives you absolutely bat crap crazy sometimes. 16 more shows, and I can say the word I want to say there, and it will be amazing. But um, he, he does this stuff. But when it gets to the playoffs, and when teams like the Celtics, when they get to the playoffs, and Brad Stevens' teams have a difficult time scoring in the playoffs because for whatever reason, those those well-maintained shots and plays just don't fall, a guy like Kyrie Irving can kind of surround that, that breakdown, and he can create his own shots off of that stuff. And I think that also gives guys, and guys are confident enough to play off of him in those scenarios. That's what they missed in Game 7 versus the Cavs last year, and that, to me, was always the bigger point. Like, people kind of over, well, they made it to Game 7 against the Cavs. Like, yeah, they should have won that Game 7. If Kyrie Irving plays in that game, they win, they win because that's the type of game that, you know what, nothing else is happening on the offense. I'm just going to let Kyrie go and, and bust you down. And yeah, that's, let's, that's let's, why the Warriors are so afraid of him. Here's the, here's the other thing that bothers me about comparing to last year is that, oh, the Celtics got through without Hayward and without Irving and got to the, got to the finals after Game 7. Let's not forget, the teams that are on the road to the final this year are going to be much tougher than those mm-hmm. teams were a year ago. <laughs> Milwaukee is better. Toronto is better. Indiana is better. Those teams are better. Um, oh, and, and they did it last year against not quite ready teams yet. Well, Toronto seems like a pretty well-ready team with Kawhi now to me. Um, and that's not the same Toronto team as last year. That's not the same uh, Greek freak and company as last year. And so you talk about it's, it's you know, now that I'm adding Kyrie back, well, that is an addition very much like what everybody else also made. So I don't think that gives them another leg up at this point at all either. I think to your point, and, and you are not wrong, um, Kyrie's ability to create beyond the set is what is going to be a key for this team going forward. Talking with Justin Pelletier from the Boston Herald, what I'm, what I'm still hoping for secretly is that the Kings don't make the playoffs and somehow, just by the grace of God, because the highest the pick, highest pick the Celtics can get is two, right? If the Celtics mm-hmm. get that second pick, obviously they're not going to get Zion Williamson. But if they get the second pick, that means you've got an R.J. Barrett. That means you've got a, another couple of things as well. There's some franchise. There, a lot of people compare this draft to the 2003 draft, especially with Zion up at the top. So if you can get that number two pick, and then I saw a deal last night, and we talked about this in the first segment, where if, uh, if, if Kevin Durant wants to opt back in with the Warriors for his second year, but opt back in under the impression or under the guise that he's going to be traded, you can trade either Gordon Hayward or Al Horford to the Warriors to match up salaries, and then you can do a three-way deal, and you can get Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant here to play with Kyrie, because, of course, Kyrie would come back here and re-sign. And then you, sure. create, and you, cre- you create the new super team, because that's, you know, to me, that's probably going to be the way that you, you may have to get things done, because I, I just... That I think there's so much time left in this season that there are still decisions that everyone needs to make. I think, I think if you probably had a had a truth serum on Kyrie about two weeks ago, I think he would probably say, "Yeah, I'm looking at maybe playing somewhere else next year." But I think maybe after this, after a couple of games, you know, maybe after a good stretch, maybe a good run of the playoffs, 
And uh, the the uh, conversation that I saw recently uh, with Kyrie, where he talked about how his relationship with Brad Stevens is really what changed his mind. You know, if Brad is able to do that and kind of reach these guys on a personal level and get them to turn it around based on that, then he's going to end up, you know, up on that sports coach uh, pantheon up in Boston with Belichick and Francona for getting things turned around in our back. And uh, because that will be one of the all time ones. And then you're going to have a culture where people are going to want to come play for Brad Stevens. And I think that is really what this season is all about for the Celtics. People are really, not just the misfits that want to save their career, but stars, people that are premier, want to go and see what Brad Stevens can do for them and unlock their potential. Similar to what some of the greats that, that do end up playing for the Patriots, like a Revis or a Moss, have done when they've gone to play for the Patriots and Belichick. Absolutely. I mentioned this to Aaron uh, several weeks ago when uh, uh, you were on hiatus there. Uh, Mr. Bellwell, and uh, <laughs> uh, I said, you know, people, it, it was during the time when the, when the whole uh, Anthony Davis stuff was blowing up, and I said, um, here's something to blow your mind. I said, what if they did a sign-and-trade for Kevin Durant? And they included Hayward and, Ma- and Marcus Morris uh, and a draft pick or two, uh, and then you can keep Tatum, you can keep Smart, you can keep these guys, add Durant, and then maybe you start looking at adding Davis to that, but do you even really need to at that point? Yeah, I mean, you know, do you need to because because if that best pick that you have turns into the two, do you use that instead of trading for Anthony Davis? And so now you've got Tatum, who was a who was a lottery pick. You have another number two or three or four pick overall. Plus you've got Durant. Plus you've got Kyrie. All of a sudden, you've got the makings of a of a balanced solid team. Well, and you still have guys in this roster that fit, too, that really don't get enough playing time right now. I'm telling you, Semi Ojale needs more playing time. When, when, this team's depth oh, gets, when this team's depth gets tested next year, and I think we all know that's going to happen because whatever moves are made when Anthony Davis arrives or when whoever arrives, whatever moves are made, a lot of these guys that are kind of playing that lower rung tier on the bench right now are going to get those minutes. Kind of like how guys got those minutes uh, after they traded for KG because they had to trade Gomes, they had to trade Jefferson, they had to trade Delonte. I mean, there were like five or six guys in that deal that had to move, so some guys on the bench ended up getting run, i.e. Glenn Davis, i.e. Nate Robinson, right? So when you get those guys that are coming in and filling the roles and filling them the right way, and if Semi Ojale can just be the poor man's version of Jay Crowder with better defense, then all of a sudden, to me, I think you've got the secret sauce that keeps this team going and relevant for the next few years and being able to compete and, and really go toe-to-toe and really be the alpha dog between Milwaukee and Philadelphia and, and whatever whatever other team might pop up, because I don't know if Kawhi's going to stay in Toronto or not. Well, and, and let's not forget Robert Williams either. Okay. Yeah, and, that, and that's another good point. He kind of reminds you that he's kind of like that Kendrick Perkins you know, type, isn't he? He's so talented, and once he realizes how talented he is, he's going to be even better. Yeah. No, and, and once he realizes what all he all he has to do to get to that next level is show up on time, right? <laughs> and, and, but, but I mean, but I mean, and, and I don't, and I, and I don't even just mean that portion of it. But I mean, it's just dotting I's and crossing T's, right? How many yeah. great careers have we seen stalled in New England because guys couldn't dot I's and cross T's? I think of a guy like Irving Fryer, right? Like, think of all the talent he had, and he had a 10-cent head yeah, and 5-cent decision-making never ability. Never came together. Right? Yet you had a guy with Stanley Morgan who probably had about the same amount of talent as Irving Fryer who worked harder and was absolutely fantastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there are other guys that, that kind of made poor decisions and in their careers uh, took part as suits. So 
when you see that on this side of it, you know, I th also think next year, you know, Marcus Morris isn't going to be here. I don't think he's a bad player at all, but I think he's the type of guy that takes minutes away from the young guys. And he's obviously, you know, going to want a bigger role somewhere else next year. So yeah. his minutes are going to go somewhere else. You can't lose Marcus Smart. I think if you lose Marcus Smart, you lose the heart and soul of the Celtics. And I don't think there's any other stabilizing force on that team other than Marcus Smart, which is amazing because you would think. 10 years ago or six years ago, if you said Marcus Smart was the stabilizing force on any team, he would have been laughed out of a building. But I mean, he's the guy. I mean, he's the guy that makes it go. And, you know, it, it, I don't expect Terry Rozier to be around next year. Um, I expect somebody in, uh, in uh, restricted free agency this year to make him some sort of deal, whether it's the Brooklyn Nets, whether it's another team that just wants to do some sort of poison pill contract that makes it impossible for the Celtics to match that deal. And uh, I think Marcus Smart is probably your backup point guard for the foreseeable future to Kyrie Irving in Boston. And then they'll have they'll just they'll continue to get the Wanamaker Larkin types to sit behind them as a third point guard when they need one. I think that's what you're going to see, and uh, unless they draft somebody or something like that. But I don't know how many draft picks are going to have coming up in the next few years. So this is a really interesting season for the Boston Celtics. This is a really interesting stretch for the Boston Celtics, and this is a really interesting season and stretch to determine the future near and far of the Boston Celtics because I think a lot of the trajections that happen uh, over the next you know three to six months are all going to be because of what happens here in the next three to four months. And route. So anyways, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be that, Mike. Uh, any thoughts about tomorrow night, St. Dom's and, uh, and Biddeford? Um, I, you know, I... St. Dom's has the best goalie in the state by a mile, um, and and I don't think I'm breaking any news by saying that Gaston Fuchs has been been probably the best goalie in the state for the last two years. Um, I think that alone, um, plus they're you know they're riding high. Um, they've got an unheralded uh, group of defenders uh, that just shut down Lewiston. Uh, actually, they've shut down Lewiston all year. They just haven't been able to get the bounce right. to win, um, and and. You know they were able to finally do so on Tuesday. Um, I think I think the the top end of St. Dom's is better than the top end of Biddeford. Biddeford might have a little bit more depth on the forward line, but I think that the key is going to be really. I think it's going to be uh, St. Dom's having the edge given its defense and its goaltending this year. I just think um, they've, they've stifled a lot of opponents, especially down the stretch. If you look at their goals against down the stretch, uh, have been minuscule, and I think part of that. Uh, has to do with Fuchsia, but also that unheralded group of D-men. Uh, I think the Sun Journal may or may not have had a nice feature on them this week. Yes, uh, they well. did. Um, I knew they were they were talking about it at one point. So, uh, but uh, you know that's that's a, a group of uh, uh, of players that's going to make a difference in this game. I think. Tongue with Justin Pelletier, is a sports editor of the Boston Herald. All right, Justin, I'll let you get back to it. Sounds like things are perking up there. I hear sirens, so you know. <laughs> I, uh, I just want one, one big shout-out. I don't know if you had a chance to read uh, this week, but uh, Nathan Fournier had a great story on the Lost yes. Championship from St. Dominic Academy. Yeah. Did you see that? We did. Yeah. We, we, we talked about that yesterday, actually. What a fantastic thing. And I'm, I'm just Honestly, I'm just pissed about it because it showed that they beat Dixfield. So I'm, I'm going to embarrass him and tell you all the same thing I told him yesterday. Uh, that might have been the best story I think he's ever done for them, and that's you know he's done a lot of good stuff for them over the years, and... Uh, it's great to see the evolution of that young man as a journalist, and, and that story itself was such a great story. To hear from Jerry Barabee after all these years again was just great to, to see that in there and, and just to see, you know, give everybody else an even bigger target to go after now, right? Everybody was chasing that, that, uh, 
that 24 is the number. Now all of a sudden 25 and maybe 26 after this year. So uh, it's, it's really interesting and, and really good stuff. And uh, kudos to him for both uncovering and telling that story like it was. You know what? All that shows me is that we need to get a team, a hockey team, back in Dixfield. And frankly, I don't think they need uh, an indoor facility. I think what should happen is we should just have them practice outside at the old park like we used to back in the day. And they need to remake the Dixfield hockey team. That's what I go. think needs to happen. And then I think we need to have a Dixfield St. Dom's rematch at some point. You know, there's not uh, sadly there's not enough of the folks alive from '46 to remake that completely. You're looking for the rubber match then, right? Because yeah. Rome's won that one. Yeah, and I mean, Dixfield won in '57, right? So it's, it's, you're looking for the rubber Best of three, man. We got to get that going. I think Ryan Palmer, who I assume is either listening or will listen later, has got to know who can jumpstart the hockey program up there. He knows exactly where they could practice, and there are plenty of ponds up there. And then I think eventually they could build a they could build a, a hockey arena up there and up in Western Maine. We'll see. We'll we'll make that happen. Justin Peltier, <laughs> sports editor of the Boston Herald. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. You got it later on. Thank you. Thank you. That's Justin Peltier, sports editor of. The Boston Herald here on the B-List Daily from the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios across the MBR radio network.